Welcome to the Milestones Motivation and Money Podcast, hosted by Angel Radcliffe. Tune in as we discuss finances, success stories, and inspiring vibes that will help nurture growth. So we're chatting with Kevin Mako on modern tools to scale your business. So Kevin Mako is the founder of Mako Design. He has won over 20 entrepreneurial awards and worked with over 1,000 product startups. He's a keynote speaker, the host of the Product Startup Podcast, and he's also been featured on a TV show, Make 48. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Angel, happy to be on the show. I'm so happy to have you here to discuss modern tools to scale your business because as a business owner, we're always trying to find the next best thing to get organized. And so this conversation will definitely be a great one. How about you give the audience a bit of a background on yourself? Sure, happy to. I'm one of those unique stories. I started the business that I'm in today, just a little over now, 20 years ago while I was in high school and just playing around with business ideas, more on a pain point that I had, incorporated it while at university and then went to study abroad in Hong Kong. And then when I came back full-time, I went into the business. I turned down the big job offers. I was 50K in student debt. And I had this vision of essentially developing products for hardware startups. So people, regular people, small businesses, individuals, inventors, et cetera, with their gadgets, inventions, products, whatever, I found it very difficult to make my own. So I filled that void just for my own pain point of (laughs) not being able to do that for my own invention, built that company from that essentially startup bootstrapping out of the condo, starting from school and then full-time into it until what it is today. We've got four offices from coast to coast across North America, just under 30 folks, well over a thousand products developed for clients. But it all started with the one idea and that, that idea has not changed since day one from what it is today. So we're one of those few businesses that never really did take a pivot. Wow. That's such a great summary. And you mentioned Hong Kong. That has to be exciting to have studied in Hong Kong. It was. The original idea, and which has not changed today, is how, how do I design, develop, and get into production great products for startups? People just with an idea, sketch on a napkin. You quite literally get sketches on napkins. It's no joke. So the whole idea was, well, how do I design these great things? And then, of course, once they're designed and developed locally in North America, how do I produce them, either both locally and overseas? So I said, I'll jump right into the hornet's nest and went to Hong Kong University to learn manufacturing and supply chain management. So that when I came back, I was essentially putting those two worlds together, designing great products locally, and then being able to produce them internationally. And I know some listeners are going back to your initial comment on only having the $50,000 in student debt. <laughs> you studied in Hong Kong. so everyone's- <laughs> Yeah, it was nuts. I, I was at the point where I, I was multiple times, like four to six weeks of cash flow away from being completely bust, like bankrupt and, and, and closing shop and calling it a day. And then going back and begging for those job offers that I turned down once I graduated. And I, I pretty much went through that for my entire twenties because Every time I actually started to succeed and the model was working and I started making some money, I would essentially have to uh, risk it all to to grow again. I would have to put all of my money back because I had no investors, no debt, no financing. I grew this completely organically still to today from scratch. So you have to be very careful and cognizant what you're spending, but it also means if you want to double up in size, you're really taking every dollar that you earn and pumping that back into the business. 
Oh, definitely. And so bootstrapping is definitely something so many entrepreneurs are doing today. And that even goes back into some of the general financial literacy that I teach. I'm always stressing to my audience in order to really be successful and succeed in business, even if you're going to bootstrap or take out a loan, you have to understand how to manage the finances. And then there are decisions when you're down to the last dollar and you're like, all right, what do I do? Do I go back to a job? Do I keep working on my dream? And you've managed to be successful. Multiple offices it's in, in other countries. So you have an office in Canada. You have locations here in the U.S. Some would define that as entrepreneur's dream. Yeah, it's great now. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, But it was, and, and, and all businesses are. You know, there's a lot of challenges as you grow. The key is to be able to overcome those hurdles, push through them, and most importantly, learn from them. Learn from your failures, or even really, even one step better, really prograde is learn from your near misses when you nearly failed or when that contract nearly fell through or you, you weren't nearly able to, you, you almost failed it in delivering your service or product. Learn why it was such a close miss and then try and buffer up that margin. Make it so that next time this happens, it's not going to be a near miss and it's going to be a, a huge success. And learning is a huge part of entrepreneurship. I can tell you, I, I went to business school and then I studied overseas for this business. And I learned 90% of what I know today from the school of hard knocks, just doing it, being in the grind, being in the business. But that's a very, and I know that's not exactly on our topic today, but it's really important. I've dealt with well over a thousand startups to understand that like the more you can learn, the more that you can look at failure as a learning opportunity, as opposed to a failure, the exponentially more successful you're going to be in the long run. Definitely. I always say you have to stare your failures in the face, own up to it and learn from it because they are lessons and transitioning. I I definitely want to understand more of how did you understand business acumen or even understand entrepreneurship? Was that something that you grew up around or was it just going to college? Give us some backstory on that. It's a blended approach. One of the big things that I I thought was valuable, especially in the early years, which is really what actually built this business was experimentation. And that's something that everybody can do. Everybody can start researching on Google and get a little website built and start talking to potential customers or potential vendors or other stakeholders. You can always try. If you've got an idea for something, just start working on it. And this trickles down to big picture thinking that I've seen in working with many startups After you've worked with a thousand plus startups, you start to see what some of the real true characteristics are of the successful folks versus the unsuccessful. And it's not what you think in terms of traditional logic, money, smarts, great idea, all that stuff is good. But I'll tell you, all of that is dwarfed by an individual who regularly and consistently hustles. And I don't mean hustle, wake up at six in the morning and don't go to bed till midnight. Hustle is in terms of the word consistency every day doing a little bit of work towards that end goal that you're looking for. It's amazing how powerful that is. And it's amazing how few people will spend even just an hour a day working towards their bigger picture thinking, whether this is a career, a startup business, or you're trying to scale your business. How often are you spending each and every day at focusing on the most important things within that task? So here's where the double-edged sword kicks in. Not only on one hand, are you getting into the groove, hopefully of focusing every day on your on on building your dream whatever that might be but on the other hand you're prioritizing 
So when you're going to spend that one or two or three hours each day consistently focusing on that dream, through that time, you should be starting at minute one, focusing on the biggest elephant in the room, the highest priority piece of that puzzle that you're trying to solve. And most people start in first. They start with the easy or the urgent thing, and they leave the important thing for later because the important thing seems like the hard thing or the daunting thing. Reverse that order. Hard stuff first and get at it every day. Those are some insightful words. And I'm sure people are really taking some notes as they're listening because I was like so tuned in. (laughs) But when we talk about scaling your business, let's go back and, and define the word scale because I don't want anyone to listen to this and, and really be confused. And some people do have a different definition, whereas they're thinking it's more uh, monetary based, but how do you define scaling your business? I look at scaling as a startup or as an established business really is the same thing. You're trying to drive to a big, to a bigger arena for your business and where you are today. So as a startup, that might be getting the product off the ground, which in and itself is scaling. You're going from no product to a product in the marketplace. If you're an established business selling a million dollars worth of XYZ, whether it's services or parts per year, and you want to double that up again, that's scaling. So scaling really to me, isn't uh, about a monetary number, although that helps obviously tie a goal to it, but scaling really is about just evolving your business or your idea or your career to the next level. That is the key. So when we talk about scaling and when you're hearing people Um, refer to the word scaling, understand that the word scaling is for everybody. And the lessons derived for a company that's growing from a million to 10 million, you can use many of those same lessons. In fact, they're very powerful lessons to go from having no business to having your first three customers. It's the same principles that are applying either way. So Kevin, what do you consider the best practice for scaling a business organically versus having that funding and what is best? Well, and I'd love to talk a little bit, we'll do it a little bit further in this uh, podcast if you have time for it, but getting down to some of the specifics in terms of how you actually use software and the types of software and the way that you can use and leverage kind of modern technologies in 2021 to make that process of scaling or starting a business much smoother. But if you back up to the question at hand in terms of the differences between funded and organic. In organically funded businesses, meaning you are essentially funding it yourself, there is one thing that matters above all else, and that is sales. Because without sales, there's no money. Without money, you're not paying the bills. Very different than a funded process, which is where you're getting somebody to essentially give you a bit of money to build or do some sort of services or whatever else before you actually get the revenue from those customers. So if you're looking to grow organically specifically, you should have your absolute eye. Again, we're talking the big elephant in the room. How are you going to sell to your customers and how are you actually going to get that money in the door? Because selling is one thing. And then of course, accounts receivable or getting paid for that is another. If you're completely organically funded or self-funded to a level and you're going to try and grow organically, you need to make sure that you figure out your cash flow so that you have more money coming in than going out, which sounds obvious, but a lot of startups don't think about that. And especially in today's day, 2021, you think about a lot of tech firms, a lot of apps, software companies, that sort of stuff that go literally to the point of getting billions of dollars in funding before they've made a dollar in revenue. That's for a very specific type of startup. 
but that certainly does not apply to an organic startup or potentially selling a service or a very introductory model of a product or a serve or anything else, essentially, that you're selling those business services before you're delivering on them. And that's the only way that you'll get to to scale is with actual sales. Now, that obviously leads to the question, if you haven't built it yet, how do you sell? Simple answer there is start small and work your way up. Uh, Looking at my own company as an example, we were starting to design products in the early phase. Of course, we didn't have the reputation like we have today. We didn't have 25 awards and all these offices and crazy products in the market and all that. That's not what we were selling back then. Back then, we were saying is, first of all, we were starting small, very simple products, very early stage, very easy to develop products. We were saying, look, we will be, we've done enough research that we can on our own. We will get the right people together to design and build and then produce this product. If you trust us and trust our process that we believe that is going to work for your product, invest a little bit of money to pay for us essentially to do that. And then we would go off and we would execute on that. And we would then scale that over time. So as we started to have early successes, then we could get into bigger and bigger projects, bigger and bigger customers, hire more of those resources internally as opposed to externally. But the key was starting very small, building a strong reputation with your ability to execute and complete tasks, not just your idea. The idea is great, but how do you, how convinced can somebody be that you're able to actually execute on your ideas? So if someone's going to pay you for an idea, you want to be really sure that you figured out at least for the most part, how you're actually going to do a good job of doing that work. That is then how your reputation starts to compound and how the business starts to compound after that at a high level. Wow. So some great tips there. And I want to go back. I know I asked the question as far as some people may consider scaling more revenue-based and and you gave this great definition. Now I'm sure everyone's ready for the bread and butter of it. (laughs) They really want to know what are these tools to really scale your business? And when you're talking about tools, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking on the financial side. But give us some of your best tools that entrepreneurs should be looking for if they're wanting to scale. Yeah, I'll just give a quick overview. And when I talk about tools to today, as running a design and engineering firm, we like to get specific. So far in the conversation, we've talked a lot about a lot of big picture thinking concepts. But what I like to do is I think have a best of both worlds. You have your big picture thinking to really, you know, it's your motivation behind it, understanding your general business practices around it. But then you want to pair those things with specific actionable technology that allows you to pull this off. So a few things that I'd like to highlight that I think are very important in building a business is one, be process obsessed Two, be cloud based, meaning that you're using software that's stored in the cloud that is very easy to use and whatnot. Keep in mind that you will be the kind of in-house IT department of your own company, especially in the early phases as you start to build and then scale that company. And then three, really understand the tools of today. Now, what software is out there? And I can tell you this is critically important now because more than ever, businesses have a number of different stakeholders. It's an international marketplace. So you need to understand a lot of different elements to your business and how you can simplify those by using technology to your advantage. So I want to go into some of these in specifics, especially around software, especially about cloud-based software that's process-oriented that really helps smooth your business processes. First and foremost, file storage. No matter what type of business, you're going to have files. 
And it's critical that you understand how to store those files. A couple quick tips I'd have for that is first of all, be using something like Google Drive or Dropbox or box.com to store those files, meaning that they're backed up, they're cloud synced, they're essentially indestructible. And they, they have tools and vaults and such that, that make it that way. But second of all, allows you to very much easily organize who has what access to what files. And especially if you're sharing those files, how that works. So it's really easy to manage through these platforms. And it's very easy when you actually get into the flow of it to learn how the software works. It's intended, they've actually, all of these companies, although it's up to the biggest businesses in the world that use them, they all have consumer versions that are meant to be very easy to learn. One of the big things that I would also recommend just getting really specific with your files is organize it by year. So you have your, this year is going to be your 2021 files. And then next year, you're going to roll forward any files you need from last year to this year. And you get a fresh start with your, your new folder hierarchy, which is the next big part. Having your company designed and organized, especially from a file perspective, by departments or divisions. And if you're just a one-person shop, it could be simple as customers, vendors, accounting, and whatever else, right? Personal files, et cetera. That could be your four main folders. And then you have all your subfolders under there. Again, all stored in the cloud. Very important. Next thing, which is key, is project management and or task tracking. This can be the same software. This is the Rike, Asana, even things like Evernote. This type of software allows you to essentially manage your projects. Now, this could be an external project as it is for our, our company. We have dozens of clients at any given time. We have to manage those projects through. We use software called Rike, which keeps a very close eye to ensure that we are doing all of the tasks and meeting all the specifications of every single project that we're running. It keeps it all, again, it's all cloud-based, very well organized, relatively easy to use software. The key here is understanding what projects are important and how to organize them within the software. So if this is inter internally, you could use something like Trello, uh, which is a very simple, essentially, st imagine sticky notes on the wall, but in an organized process for your own internal things. So if you say, I want to build my website, I need to design it. I need to find who's going to build it. And then I need to post it live. Well, that could be your three posts. You use Trello to put those in order and you essentially check them off. That's the most basic kind of version of taskless tracking. This is also very important for prioritization because you could have three, four different tasks on the go today. And the best thing that you can do, complete A-list, most CEOs across the board still struggle with this. There's only a handful that really do this well, but back to something we talked about earlier, prioritization, the biggest thing first. And when you have your lists, and especially when they're electronic, especially if they're built within a project management software or task tracking software, you can easily just even checkbox your priority. So this is a priority one, two, three, and so on. So when you wake up the next morning, you just click, I'm going to look at my priority one items or my extreme emergency items, which you can also tag, and then pick your best there. Now we get into your customers, and this is where customer relationship software is important. CRM, customer relationship management software. This is where you're actually, every time you interact with a customer, that should be tracked. The easiest way, if you want to start, at least at a basic level, is just build it on a spreadsheet. Generally, companies start at a Word document, then move to a spreadsheet, then eventually migrate to a CRM software. The thing is, CRM software is built so user-friendly now, and there's so many starter packs for just individual one-off businesses. It's very easy to build in a CRM 
piece of software into your organization. And it's always easier to put these things in earlier than later. The bigger you get as a business, the exponentially more difficult it is to change from that spreadsheet to that CRM software. So if you think it's a pain in the butt learning the CRM software now, it will be much harder down the road. So you might as well learn it today while you're building. Finally, I'll get to what I would say is communication software. And this is your email calendars, all that sort of stuff. The Google backend platform is phenomenal for this. You can manage all of these all synced with your phone, with your laptop or online so that you can access them anywhere in the world at any time. And again, cloud-based, all synchronized, all backed up naturally uh, through the software, easily done through the Gmail platform. Nice. And so you have given so much information. <laughs> and I know when someone's listening to this, especially a founder or someone who's a part of a startup, they're probably thinking about the best strategy to manage all of these tools. When we think about startups, they're typically smaller teams until they have, of course, scale, the magic word. But how do you propose to founders becoming well-versed in these tools? Do you recommend that they're doing this more hands-on themselves, handing it off to a team. And, and I'm thinking about this solely because sometimes you have a smaller teams and what if that person leaves and then now who's in charge of all this amazing technology? Angel, that's a great question. And the easiest answer is simply to try this stuff yourself now, yourself now and get to at least understand the basics of all this software. I'll tell you just anecdotally from our own company, if I had not put in our CRM software, our project management software, well-organized cloud-based file structure, accounting software, communication software, if I hadn't have done that before we started growing, then there's no way that we would have been able to scale to nearly the size that we did nearly as fast as we did. It would be a fraction of the amount. You hear that the verbiage all the time, as people scale, they hit these growing pains. And that was not really something that we found as we were growing as a company. The growing pains, they were there, but they were minimal. And in fact, they were generally just learning opportunities to improve and modify the system. The reason is because the earlier you start, the exponentially more valuable that software and the, your understanding of that software will come down the road. Think of it like an interest-bearing account, right? Compounding interest. Every year it compounds your knowledge compounds on the year prior, right? So it's the classic thing. What if you take a dollar, I forget, usually the math better than I, it's something like if you double it up every year for 50 years, you've got a million or something like that. I don't remember the exact math, but it's exponential. The same principle needs to be applied to knowledge and particularly around the software of today. So even if you aren't comfortable with software, even computers scare you a bit, it, there's still no reason. In fact, that's probably a better reason to just get out there and try these basic fundamental systems. Do it now when you only have 10 files to manage and three customers and only a couple of projects, maybe per customer and simple communications happening back and forth, because you will certainly make mistakes. Those mistakes are much easier to manually fix now when you've got a few files or a few emails or a few projects than it is to replace hundreds as you scale and as you grow. And the earlier you start, the better it is. So you might as well start today. Eventually, of course, with, and with all of these, you can hire consultants. Um, you can hire lots of freelancers or outside help or even companies that help set all of these things up independently. But I still suggest at a very basic level, especially for the startups out there or people that are thinking of starting up the business, just try five or six of these basic 
pieces of technology yourself using your own gear first as a learning exercise so that as you get these consultants on board, you at least have some direction for them to work with them collaboratively to be most efficient and effective with your time and money to actually build things in, these things out to work best with your company. So you always have a, your eyes on the prize of what really matters for your company versus another. Spot on. That is so spot on. And I'm sitting here so amazed. So great information. So <laughs> one of the things that people, listeners may be asking themselves or questioning as far as we talked about being a successful entrepreneur and how successful you were earlier in the podcast, but what tips would you have for someone who's trying to be that successful entrepreneur? If you have two big ones there, you're, first and foremost, you're, you don't procrastinate which is of course what we were talking about that, that daily consistent hustle consistency is, is the most important thing there every day, doing a little bit of work towards your dream. And then second of all priority, they're huge. Those two very rarely are put in combination and done consistently over years. Any business is going to take years to grow. There's no quick buck. There's no kind of easy route. And that's okay because the journey is half the fun of it. And the reality is if the barriers to entry were low, then everybody would be doing it. So you want to be one of the, one of those people, if you're really looking to change the world and do, do something uh, amazing, don't be afraid to put in the work behind it. And again, I really like to advocate it's consistency over some aggressive, crazy hustle that you may hear about. It's unrealistic to cut out everything in your life, to not sleep, to not eat, to not exercise, potentially to not have a job just to focus on your business. But it, it's accessible to arguably almost everybody out there to spend an hour a day prioritizing. And coming back to like how that affects folks personally, especially from what I've seen working with all these startups, a lot of people believe that they are busy. I, I think if you ask 10 people in a room, nine of them are going to say they're busy and one of them's lying. When you look at that, everybody believes that they're completely packed in terms of their schedule. When you break it down, you realize it's absolutely not the case. Maybe they're you know, watching three hours of TV every day, or they attend a ton of sports events, even though they're, they're not into the sport, or they're actively involved in politics, even though that's not the industry that they're really interested in. The list goes on. Of If you really break down your life, you look at an, a typical week and build yourself a chart that shows what you're actually doing. I can tell you that almost anybody I talk with, I can look at that chart and you can probably find anywhere from five to 10 hours that are essentially wasted, that you could be spending more time and effort on following your actual dream, something that truly would be satisfactory to you, your life, and even further, your family, your children. And there's a great book out there called The, the 10X Row by Grant Cardone. And he goes through all of this from a, a psychological perspective, but also a reality perspective. One of the things that really I, I thought was impressive about what he said is if you come up with a, an idea, a quality idea for a business or something that's going to change the world or a product that's going to change the world, you pretty much have a person and global responsibility to act on that. Otherwise, you're taking away from your own future, your family and the world, what could be some amazing value that you could be doing to change it. So it's very easy when you look at it in that light to say, look, if I could change the world with this business idea, is it really worth it for me to spend an extra hour just scrolling through Instagram today? Or should I cut that out and focus on something I enjoy? The thing that you'll find out after you start doing this for a while, the benefits of that start to compound. That same metaphor I was talking about earlier of compounding interest and compounding knowledge, the same thing applies for the tasks that you put it. At first, nothing happens. 
You could work all day tomorrow and I guarantee you won't be rich at the end of the day, but you do that. You work consistently over years and you will start to notice more opportunities open to you, more doors, more conversations with interesting people in the space open up to you. And that whole thing starts to become exponential as you start to then gain some traction, which then leads you to even more conversations, which then leads you to greater traction. You can see how the snowball starts to build up and fill up. The key is early on, if you're just thinking about it from the early onset, the key is just to put your mind to it, really believe in something and then start working on it. Starting with the biggest things first, consistent, don't procrastinate. Oh, absolutely. And again, you've given some really great tips and insight. And I'm sure people are wondering how they can actually find you on social media and how can they reach out to you? So I want to get into the target person that you're looking for. So your target client and for those who are listening and they're like, oh, this guy really knows what he's talking about. We really want them to contact you for the right thing. So Give us that target client that you typically look for. We're exclusively in the physical hardware space, right? So inventions, gadgets, uh, that sort of stuff, right? Half of our products have electronics in them, half of them don't. Uh, But it's all physical hardware, all stuff that's intended to be mass manufactured and sold through places like Amazon uh, or Shopify or obviously into retail stores and all that sort of stuff. That's really our core business. Most of these talks and this stuff that I do is more for the principles that we've learned from working with all these businesses, as well as growing my own to this point in time. So if you're interested to learn more, the easiest, especially from the entrepreneurial perspective, follow me on uh, Instagram at at entrepreneurs with an S on the end. That's it. Just at entrepreneurs. And that's my own place. Post some inspirational stuff that other entrepreneurs are doing and some of the talks that I'm doing and, and links to some of the podcasts I'm on and keynotes and that sort of stuff. And if you're interested in the physical product development space, whether you've got an invention idea that you have, or you're just interested in how products are made, check out our podcast. It's the Product Startup Podcast, productstartup.com. And it's the industry's leading podcast uh, on everything to do with hardware development and how inventions essentially go from sketch on a napkin to store shelves and everything in between. Otherwise, I'm on every social media platform and whatever else. Or you can check out the company at macrodesign.com if you actually want to develop a product that you're working on. But otherwise, all I, my, the last thing I want to, to leave everyone with is do whatever you need to do to get motivated. That's always the first step. And that is a tough step. That is a really tough grind. And then after that, make sure you're combining it with real actionable knowledge. And that's why I always find it important to look at two things when I'm doing these talks. One, it's like how you actually pull this off by prioritization and all that stuff. And then on the flip side, what are some of the technologies? What are some of the tools of today to allow you to enable you to actually win as a startup entrepreneur or even as a scaling entrepreneur? Put those two together. Remember, you're always combining those kind of big picture thinking terms, the theory with real actions, uh, not one or the other, both combined. And that's what leads to quicker success, uh, much more efficient success and generally bigger success. All right. Amazing words. So Kevin, I know we are nearing the end of the show and I always like to ask my guests a question as it relates to financial literacy. And with my background, that's something I'm so passionate about. Now this phrase balling on a budget is a part of my brand. And that phrase has been out for many. What does balling on a budget mean to you? I'm sure listeners would love to hear your own version. Sorry, balling on a budget. That is interesting. In my mind, where it first goes to building a business, to me, that's all, that's the thing that's most important to me. And I, you know, there's a lot of different things that different finance folks will tell you. 
And uh, many of them are right, many of them are wrong, and it's all very specific to each unique case. But I'll tell you what works for me, especially with building a business, um, especially from the early days as a bootstrapped company. The thing that I find is most important when you're thinking of when you're thinking of money is keeping it simple, especially in the early days. Money in needs to be more than money out. And when you can start to understand the power of that and the value of that and focus on that as an end goal, in addition to, of course, the product you're building or the service you're building or whatever else, understanding that you need to sell to survive, that's what obviously creates your margin. And that is, even if you're looking to raise investment, the better that you can show that there's actual profits built in from the early stages of a company. You can show real sales, real revenue, the exponentially more funding you'll get, or like we did it, the exponentially more customers you'll get because you can then use that money to continue to build your offering and build your services. So I find it easiest. So there's all kinds of complex financial programs out there, different businesses that run on all these crazy different financial schemes. I always find it easiest to just, especially in the early days, stick to the basics find where you're going to get the money and make sure people are willing to pay you for the things that you're offering and prove it. I love it. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with Angel online on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss RMBA. That's M-I-S-S-R-M-B-A. Be sure to subscribe and review. Join us next time as we continue to empower you through milestones, motivation, and money.